Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Whether you are here physically in the room or you are joining us online, however you're here, thank you for being here, engaging, joining uh, with us and what God is doing here at Northridge. So uh, I don't know if you've ever seen some of these pictures that tend to float around online from time to time, but these types of pictures that I'm referring to are the kind of pictures that were taken at just the right, perfect moment, and as a result of that, it looks like something is going on that's not actually going on. Uh, For example, uh, this picture of the moon that is taken perfectly so it's sitting right in the satellite dish. Isn't that cool? It looks like a a thing of ice cream or something, right? That's just kind of a weird form of that, you know? Uh, Or or maybe uh, this next one, this bird that is taking a walk in the neighborhood. I don't know, if you tried as a photographer to do this for the rest of your life, you would not be able to accomplish that. That is just really, really cool, right? Uh, Or maybe this last one, this person just got the perfect angle and this human has a horse head. Isn't Isn't that great? And the person dressed up for it. Isn't that cool? But the truth is that sometimes what we see is not actually what is going on. Sometimes what we are seeing is not reality of what's going on underneath, behind the scenes, in the backstage of life, which is what we're doing today and for the next several weeks. We started it last week, this series called Backstage. What we're doing in this series is we are talking about, we are digging into the backstage areas of life. This is not the front stage areas of faith. This is not when you show up to church on a Sunday morning. This is not when you're doing ministry through your church or at a life group. This is the stuff where other people, other believers, other followers of Christ maybe don't always see. It's who you really are when no one or the people closest to you are watching. We're talking about the backstage areas of life. Woohoo! Let's dig in, right? And so today, we're going to get into a stage of life, a backstage area of life that, that if I were going to be honest, is probably one of the biggest gaps that sometimes I see, and I see this sometimes in my own life, between the front stage faith, the visible side of my faith life, and the backstage part. Today, we're going to dig into your home life. Oh man, aren't you glad you got out of bed this morning? We're going to dig into your home life. We're going to talk about who are you when you are inside the walls of your own home, when you are with just your family, when it's just close friends that you've invited or neighbors that you've invited into the mix. What are you really like when that is happening, your home life? Well, as you would imagine, Jesus has some very strong words for us with regard to what we are like intentionally, like heart-wise, who we really are, regardless of what we look like on the outside to people. And so let me just set up the context for the words that I'm going to read. These are Jesus's words. And Jesus is in the temple area. So just imagine massive columns, huge, beautiful building and space, people around all outside. And there's a huge crowd of people. Now, when Jesus spoke, people knew like, ooh, I've heard of this guy named Jesus. He's amazing. 
And so he would gather crowds around him. And so he's speaking, he's preaching in the temple area. And there's this massive crowd of people around. His disciples, his 12 disciples are there. And he is preaching and he's teaching. And then he gets to this point in the middle. This is not the only thing that he says. But he gets to this spot where he calls out a group of people for their hypocrisy. Can, you, you know in the room when all of a sudden like things are going pretty well and we're like, wow, Jesus, we're eating this up. And then all of a sudden Jesus gets really real and he kind of calls out a group of people that are there actually in the temple area with him. And this, let me just say that that's what happens in that moment. I want to read for you what he says. These words are spoken to a group of people and about a group of people at the same time. This is what Jesus said. Again, everybody's listening to Jesus in this moment. Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to start with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. Jesus isn't beating around the bush today, is he? Right? I mean, remember that there's a crowd of people, his disciples are there, and the religious leaders and Pharisees. This is like the temple. This is their authority place. This is where they hang out. These are like the pastors in the temple area. And Jesus just said, okay, so these guys over here, you see them? Yeah, they're over there in the robes. Yeah, those guys. So listen to what they say because they say some really good stuff. Just don't follow and live like they're living because they don't practice what they teach. Ooh, zinger. <laughs> Jesus has drop mic moments. That's one of them, right? It's like, boom, thank you. Now, I could stop there, but I could read. What I could do now is I could read the rest of Matthew chapter 23. You know what the Matthew chapter 23 is? If you're following along in your own Bibles, you already know. You can look at this. If you're on your Bible app or whatever, you see this. But the entire chapter, I kid you not, the whole chapter. By the way, anybody in here kind of enjoy a little bit of friction, a little bit of conflict? Like, you, anybody in here willing to admit that? Anybody? Nobody in here just likes that. Okay, that, that's weird. I've got a couple of friends that they actually enjoy that. They're like, oh, it's about to go down. And they're like, Ooh. they like get excited. I'm just like... Oh, a bunch of idiots. What are they doing? You know, I'm like, I just get annoyed by conflict. And, and, and so, so some people, though, they like conflict. If you like conflict, let me give you something to do today. Go home, and while you're watching the Packers later, by the way, men, I'm going to be at Ryan Meester's house eating pizza and watching the Packers today. I expect to see a lot of you there. All right, cool. You don't know Ryan Meester? Trust me, he's safe. Actually, he's really, really tall, but he's also safe. And, and let me just tell you, it'll be some of the best pizza you've ever had because he cooks it in the oven outside on the stone. Seriously, some of the best pizza I've ever had. So come and see the Packers do that. While you're watching the Packers, hang out with the guys or if you're going home or whatever it is, read Matthew chapter 23 if you like conflict because all it is literally is Jesus over and over and over doing what he just did, calling out the religious leaders and the Pharisees. He just keeps piling on. Now, I could read all of Matthew chapter 23. I'm not. I'm going to read just a portion of it. This is just one thing that Jesus says in a list of things that he says in this moment. 
So let me read it. Verse, jumping down to verses 27 28. Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? He's not beating around the bush anymore. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. A lot of people think of Jesus as a long-haired hippie. <laughs> Love and peace. <laughs> no. Wrong Jesus. That's a Jesus you've created. It's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus speaks truth with love behind it, but it's truth. And he calls them out and he says, what is going on is they are talking really good, but they're not living good. What they live and what they say do not line up. They are not congruent. They are not the same thing. How your home life is, Jesus is saying, does not match what you're teaching. Your heart is impure. It's wrong. It's off. And it begs the question today, it's not a comfortable question, but it's an important question that we should ask ourselves. If you, you, were in the temple area when Jesus is talking, and understand that Jesus knew everybody's heart and intention in that place, didn't he? He knows everybody's heart and intention. That's why he called them out. If you were in that temple place with Jesus, what would Jesus say about you when he knew and knows your home life? What you do outside of the public side of faith. What would he say about you? Hopefully, I don't know about you, but I do not want Jesus saying to me, you're like a whitewashed tomb full of dead people's bones, hypocrite. I don't know about you, but how many of you want that from Jesus? Yes, please. That'd be great. No, of course we don't. What would Jesus say? So what I want to do today, and you might be wondering, well, where are you going with this? Because this is pretty intense already. You know, we're just getting going. The question is, how do you live for Christ at home? How do you live for Jesus at home? with your family, with your closest friends in your neighborhood, when nobody else is watching, when nobody else is around. I'm not talking about your faith at church. I'm not talking about faith when, you know, even like you're on a mission trip or, or you're going to life group or you're headed to pizza and Packers at some guy's house named Ryan. All right? Some of you don't know him. That's okay. Whatever it is, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about who are you? What does it look like to follow Christ, to put Christ Jesus at the center of your life when you're in your home space? The comfort of that space. Well, what I want to do is I want to take you on a little bit of a crash course. We're going to just kind of tumble through several things that I think need to be a part of our home life and I'm guessing that most of these you're going to be like figures, right? You already know these things. These are probably not going to be, all of these are not going to be mind-blowing. There might be a couple that catch you by surprise. But these are basic foundational things, which means they're critical. What I mean by that is if we aren't doing these things in our home life, 
then we can't expect anybody else to follow our life and think that God means much to us. And so these are basics, a crash course of basic things, all right? So first one is this. If we want to have Christ at the center of our home, then we need to pray. We need to do a lot of that. I, I can tell you that there's a lot of people that we know this, but we don't necessarily do this. The Apostle Paul reminds us how often we should pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without what? Pray without ceasing. You should never, ever, ever stop praying. Now, some of you are wondering this in the room and online. You're wondering, you're like, okay, how does that work? Because I have to go to work right? It's going to be a little weird when I'm at the board meeting and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I'm still praying. Like, help me get out of this stupid meeting <laughs> or whatever, right? Like, how, how do we pray without ceasing? How do we never stop praying throughout the day? How do we do that? Well, the, the way that we do that is that we change the mentality of what we think prayer is. Prayer is not just when we fold our hands, close our eyes, and, and say something to God and end it with amen. That's not, that is one form of prayer. It's the one that we tend to exemplify here on a Sunday morning because it's a little bit more formal than our normal everyday life. But that's not what the Apostle Paul, that's not what God is talking about. God is talking about an awareness of his presence in our life. Did you know that God leaves here with you when you leave? When you're about to leave here in, in the next few minutes, when you go, God will go with you. When you get in your car, God is with you. When you're at home, God is with you. Wherever you go, God is with you. The question is, how much are you inviting that reality to impact and influence your daily life? His presence is there. The question is, are you aware of it and are you connecting with it? God's Spirit. That's what we're talking about. And so for, I don't know, for uh, Laura and I, for in our home, this is kind of what it looks like. We have three kids, you guys know that, and so for us it might look different than somebody maybe who is at home, and, and, and maybe you're here and you're wondering, man, this isn't for me because I'm single. I don't, I don't have a family at home, or all I have is a dog or a cat or whatever the case is. I don't know where everybody's at. Or some, some of you are like, you're empty nesters. You're like, our kids have been gone for like 20 years. Like, how are we supposed to impact them? This has application for everybody because this is about starting with your relationship with God at home and then that will impact everybody else, regardless of who that is, whether it's the, the close friends that you invite into your home because you live single, or you're married, or you have kids, or your kids are empty nester, you're an empty nester, they're gone. This has bearing on everybody. And so Laura and I, how this looks is we pray all the time as often as we can. So we do the, the regular, like, pray before most meals. We don't pray before every meal. We're not legalistic and like, oh, man, somebody's going to choke on this because we forgot to pray. You know? Let's be honest. We can laugh at that because we think that way, don't we? We're like, this food's not blessed now. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm going to gain at least three pounds from this. I would have gained one, but God, I, we didn't bless it. Right? We think that way. So why do we pray before the meal? There's two reasons. One, we should be grateful for what we're about to eat. And you know where the gratefulness needs to go? It needs to go to God. I didn't earn that food. God gave us that food. And the other reason is, 
We have to eat throughout the day. I don't know about you, but I like to eat. Well, it's a great reminder for me to stop and pray and offer gratefulness and thanks to God in that moment. And so we pray before most meals, not every meal, but most meals we do that. We pray before, with our kids before bed. Now that they're older, we do less of that, but we did that all the time before. We pray with our kids on the way to school. This is actually one of the reasons we take our kids to school. Because we want that. We're talking literally like three to four, sometimes five minutes, depending on the really slow traffic on the way to the high school. Some people drive too fast. Some people drive like they, they have nowhere to be. Both of them drive me crazy. I need prayer in the morning. Let's be honest. I need prayer. Dad needs prayer in the morning because I'm taking my teenagers to drop them off to middle school and high school and I'm dealing with all the other drivers. And, and, and all. Anyway, I need prayer in the morning. Now you're getting a vision into my home life. But we pray. We pray together. Why? Because we want to set their day and remind our children God is with you and God is impacting you and you need to allow that to affect your life today. We, uh, when we see a car accident or an ambulance on the side of the road, we don't do this every time. I can tell you this, we don't do this every time. But every now and then it happens where we might mention in the vehicle and say, hey guys, let's just, while we're driving here, let's pray for whoever that is. We don't even know who it is, but somebody's probably hurt. Clearly. Somebody's definitely stressed out, at least. And so let's pray for them. Prayer needs to be without ceasing. It needs to be a consistent, constant thing. We can talk about prayer being important, but unless we actually pray, it's not a thing for us. We need to engage in prayer. All right, next one. You're going to know what the next one is because you can kind of see where we're going. The next one is Bible. We've got to read our Bible. We, if, by the way, if you don't, Tanya, I love that you brought this up already, right? If you don't have a Bible, get one. You have no excuse, zero, for not having a Bible, zero. I don't care what your excuse is, you have zero Bible, Bible excuse. Uh, there, there's, there's a reason for that. Number one, there are Bibles, I can see them, I'm looking at them, three different sets of Bibles, free, you can take them. We, do you know how many, I don't know how many Bibles we give away, we should probably track that. We give away a lot of Bibles throughout the year. I don't know how many Bibles we've given away in the last 10 years at our church, but it, it, it's a ton. I know because we are regularly ordering Bibles, new cases of Bibles all the time. There's, there's, there's like a regular NLT adult version. There's a teen version. There's a kid's version. Like all of the, it's all the same Bible, but it just has extra like little resources around the edges to kind of help you out. Uh, if you don't want a physical Bible, you have a smartphone, Go to your app and type in version Bible, Y-O-U version Bible. Type in version Bible and it'll come up, Holy Bible on a brown-like thing. And, and it's the best, in my opinion, best Bible app that there is. You can not only read in any translation you want, but you can also have it read to you. So you can do this while you're driving, all this stuff. Get, we need to get into God's Word. Laura and I... We can talk to our children or our friends or our neighbors all day long about how important it is to read God's Word. But if nobody ever actually sees us reading God's Word and living by it, they won't care. Right? Because what do we all know? And I say this all the time. People are not going to do what we say. What are they going to do? They're going to do what we do. 
So if I tell my kids to be kind, but I don't treat anybody else kind, they're going to follow dad's example and they're going to be like, well, he doesn't really mean that because he treats everybody else unkind. They're going to follow what I do. They can hear me say all day long that God's word is important, but unless they see me reading it, applying it, they're not going to believe it. I love what it says in Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This means that the Bible tells you where to go and how to get there. It guides you. It gives you, shows you the path, shows you the way, it shows you the direction, how to get there, what to do, all of that. It's, uh, by the way, if we don't like push the Bible, if we, don't, if we don't give ourselves the Bible, if we don't give the Bible away to other people, if we don't point them to Jesus through God's word, it's basically like throwing somebody into a cave without a flashlight and saying, good luck. Have at it. I hope you can find your way. There's a lot of people wandering in the dark. A lot of people who claim that they're followers of Christ, but they're still wandering in the dark because they don't have their flashlight. This is your flashlight. This is your compass. This will guide you. It will direct you. This is also sometimes how God will speak to you. All right. I need to keep going. Third thing is, if you want to have Christ as the center of your home, you need to get into community. So one of the greatest things that you can do for your home faith life is to get out of your home life and get yourself and or your spouse and or your kids and or your friends and or your neighbors into a community of faith, into the body of Christ. One of the main things that God wants us to do is to realize that he did not create us to live faith in a silo, in a, in a box, isolated from everybody else. He created us to be in community with one another, sharpening one another, holding each other accountable. This is why we are gathered here together today. There's a reason why Laura and I expect our children to attend and be at at least one worship service every week, regardless of what their sports, dance, uh, friend, uh, prom, homecoming, whatever. Like the standard is, and yes, they have to come even after prom and homecoming. And they, are they barely awake? They're barely awake. Right? I remember, and by the way, my parents did this, and I remember we had pews back then. You remember that? Pews? Imagine that. Pews in church. Right? And I would sit like this after prom because I'd been up literally probably all night. I may not have even slept. And I would sit there, and I would put my head just above the pew in front of me because just in case I wanted to, to knock me barely, slight concussion so that I can stay awake. Because they not only expected me to be there, but to be awake through it. Now, why do Laura and I expect our kids to do that? Is it because attendance at church is important? No. Is it because we need to be legalistic and because we, we know that God is going to strike them down if they are not at church 52 weeks? If you miss a couple, you're done. No. You know why? Because we want them to understand that God is the most important thing in their life. More important than mom, more important than dad, more important than anything else you can name in this life. And so that has to be elevated above anything else. So yes, you will have to sacrifice what you want to do for God. They're going to learn that. Whether or not they're going to follow that, that's up to them when they leave home. But in our home, 
they're going to know that. It's not attendance is not the key. It's where God ranks in our life. And so one of the greatest things we can do is get ourselves out of our home into community of faith. Uh, Let me just share what happens when we get into community in a genuine, authentic way. It says this in Acts chapter 2, one of the first churches that ever arose after Jesus. It says this, All the believers, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, communion, and to prayer, Hey, we've talked about some of this here today, haven't we? A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In other words, when we gather together, when we get the body of Christ together in the same space, in our homes, in a gymnasium, at a community center, in the Wanakee Village Center, in our life groups, in all the different places that we go, at Trinan Farm, on a school bus, together. Let me tell you, that was fun. It was also loud. But we had a blast. When we get together and on the common goal, the unity, the one vision of we're here to worship God, we're here to praise Jesus and follow him together, great things happen. Just like it says there. So we've got to commit to get out of our home life into community because that's what God designed us to do. All right, two more. These are actually going to be quicker. And these are the ones that might come out a little bit out of left field. Might feel that way a little bit. If we want Christ to truly be impactful in the center of our home, we need to start practicing and experiencing more repentance and forgiveness. We don't talk about these very much. We know that they're critical, but we don't talk about them much. Repentance and forgiveness. 1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he, this is a great promise, guys, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That is a big deal. God promises if we confess our sins, if we throw our sins to him, if we confess what we're doing wrong, if we confess, hey, I should probably doing, be better, doing better at this, whatever that is, God says, I will hear that, I will forgive you, and I will cleanse you from the wickedness. Is it possible? That the wickedness we see in our world today is not a lack of willingness to be kind or a political spectrum problem? What if the main problem of having a lot of wickedness in our world is a lack of repentance and forgiveness? 
What if we were quicker to admit our problems? What if we were quicker to say, God, I was wrong? Or say to other people, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Repentance means not just being sorry for your sin, but turning away from it. Repentance is literally, you were doing this, now you're saying to God, I'm sorry for doing that, and I'm now going to do this. I'm going a different direction. I'm repenting and forgiveness. In fact, let me just, before I go on, let me ask you this question. How do you do at exemplifying and living repentance and forgiveness in your home? For example, when you mess up, when you fail. If you talk to my wife, you talk to my three kids, they will tell you very, very quickly, Dad is not perfect. I mess up. I fail. The question is not us trying to find perfection. The question is, when you do not live up to perfection, because you won't, neither will I, we all sin, the question is, how do you respond? Do you seek repentance? Do you ask for forgiveness? And what happens when other people in your home, close friends, family, kids, spouse, mess up? Do you offer forgiveness? Or are you quick to judge? I think in our home, we would see more of the love and the power of Christ if we exemplified the life of Christ, which was a life of repentance and forgiveness. That's what he came to offer us. All right, one more. Before I share this one, admittedly, this one was not on my radar when I was working through this message. Uh, my initial thought, and in fact, God kind of changed this message a lot from what I was going to do um, this week. But as I was going through this, this kind of just came sideways out of nowhere. And God sometimes, actually, he quite often does this to me. But this one came out, and, and I didn't realize that this was going to be a part of this message. And I think more than likely, we're going to hear a little bit more about this, I think, in maybe the next couple of weeks in this series. Maybe it comes in another series, but I, I know that God wants us to hammer on this for a little bit. But I just, I almost took it out because it's too big to tackle with the last couple of minutes that we have. But I'll just say that. It kind of goes with repentance and forgiveness. If we want to have Christ at the center of our home life, we need to realize that God is all about love, grace, and mercy. I know we hear these terms connected with God, but we need to truly believe that that is what God is and what he's offering. Love, grace, and mercy. These three words are the epitome of God. This describes who God is. Love, grace, and mercy. I love what Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says. It's one of the most powerful statements of these three words put all together. Listen to what it says. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in, what does it say? Mercy. He's rich in mercy. 
He is mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, what is it? By grace you have been saved. Now, this is why I almost didn't do this one because this is a whole sermon series by itself. Just that verse. Just those two couple of verses. Like a whole sermon series because there's so much there. The depth is so incredibly deep there. But let me just summarize it. What that is saying is God loves you, every one of you. He loves you so much. He offers you mercy, which is freedom from the punishment that you deserved. And he offers you grace, which gives you the ability, the power, the the capacity to actually have a relationship with God. Did you know that as a human being, you do not have the capacity, the ability to either understand God or bring yourself to God? What you need is you need an extra source of power to be able to approach God. You can't approach God on your own. You can't just decide, uh, I'm going to approach God. You can't decide that on your own. You have to have grace, which comes from God. It empowers you to be able to come to God. In fact, we have this fancy theological term. If you go to seminary, you'll learn these terms. Let me just tell you, these terms, for the most part, um, they don't really have a lot of bearing on our life in terms of the terms, but what they mean have all the bearing in the world on our life. So this term is called prevenient grace. It's called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace means previous grace. It means grace that came before you that gives you the ability to do what you're doing now. You guys have been using prevenient grace all morning long. If you're breathing, prevenient grace. God gave you the ability to do that. He created this planet just in the perfect spot away from the sun to be able to survive. That's prevenient grace. We can't survive without God's grace. We also cannot approach God without God's grace. And so the question that I have for you before I get to this last little piece is this. Do you believe in your home life that you are connected to and that you can be connected to the God of the universe who loves you and who has offered you mercy and grace? Do you live like that? Or do you live like this world stinks? I have no hope for tomorrow. I can't stand my life. I can't believe I hate this job. What is your home life like? How is your demeanor? What is your attitude toward life when you are in your home life, with your family, with your closest friends? Do you believe that you serve a God who loves you and has offered you incredible grace and incredible mercy? Do you live like it? I pray and hope that you do. I know a lot of you do. But some of us, we forget it, don't we? So let me just end by asking this. I'm just kind of curious about this. Uh, How many of you uh, wrestle with the thermostat in your home uh, at this time of the year? 
All right, you're, you're like conflicted. Okay, some of you are willing to admit that. You're conflicted like, you're like, oh, I don't know, should I turn on the air, air conditioning this, this weekend, right? It's like, oh man, air conditioning again? You know, air conditioning, do we leave it off? Do we not turn on the heat because we don't want the heat to run? Because then it's going to dry out the air and then my voice is going to get all scratchy and then I have to use the essential oils and whatever and then we have to get humidifiers out. Uh, in fact, let me, <laughs> let me just dig in for a second. How many of you, I'm just curious, this is just like kind of almost morbid curiosity here. Anybody in here not turned on their heat mode in their house yet? Because you, you've, you've, you've gotten, gotten a, okay, there's one family, literally one family. That is awesome. Rakowski's, you're weird. That's awesome. I love that. Welcome to church. We love you in Jesus' name. All right. Awesome. I know, I love, I think that that's awesome because Laura and I tried to do that, but we just don't hold out. And they were like, oh my goodness, it's so cold in here, turn it on, right? And, and so I don't know about you, but, but Laura and I, and some people are like that, maybe like the because, like we're, I know Laura and I do this. We, we tried not to turn on the heat. Like Laura asked, should we turn on the heat? I'm like, no, let's not do it, not yet, you know? And it just got so cold, we're like, okay, turn on the furnace, you know, turn the heat on. And we're holding off. Why? Because uh, I think that there's two reasons, by the way. For, uh, this may or may not be. Rakowski's, I don't know. This may be your, one of your reasons. Maybe not. But one, I think that we're just trying to save the extra few dollars. Right? That's, for, that's me. and That's my reason. I'm like, man, we could save 10 bucks probably if we just wait three more weeks. Our kids can add another blanket to the bed. You're fine. Deal with it. <laughs> I had to walk uphill both ways anyway when I was a kid. Oh, we can roll with the stories. I think the other reason is we're just in denial that winter's ever going to come. <laughs> we're like, I'm not turning on the heat. Winter's not going to come this year. The truth is, though, Laura and I, we put it off as long as possible to save that cost. Here's my question. How many of us in here know that we need to turn up the spiritual faith temp in our home, but we've just been holding off because we're not sure we like the cost. How many of us in here know we need to start leading our family in prayer, men, women, in the room? If you're not leading your family in prayer, then you are not serious about God. There, I said it. And some of you say, yeah, but I'm not a pastor. You don't need to be a pastor to pray. There's nowhere in here where God says, if thou art a pastor, then you should pray without ceasing. Everybody else, you're fine. See, the train agrees. Thank you, Lord. Right? We need to be serious about the things that we know we need to be serious about, and we need to stop. In fact, I know this. I get... People ask this all the time and say, well, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't really know how to pray. You don't need to know how to pray. Just start praying. Well, my kids are going to laugh at me. And I, you know what my answer is going to be to you when you say that? I'm going to say, yep, they will. They're already laughing at you anyway. Seriously, I could bring you people up here at Northridge who have started praying in front of their family. And their kids laughed at them because they did so poorly according to their kids. But you know what? Some of those same people who started long ago, now they're praying in front of their family all the time. 
How many of us are holding off on raising the spiritual temperature of faith, of our relationship with God in our home, because we're not sure we want to, because we're not sure we know how to, because we're not sure how awkward it'll be, because we're not sure what our friends will say when they come over and, and you have them over for pizza and to watch the, the game or whatever, and you say, hey guys, could we just pray real quick, just bless the food real quick? And you're not sure what your friends would do if they're going to make fun of you. What, how many of us are holding off, turning up the temperature of faith in our home because we're not sure we want the cost? Let me just say this. The cost of not doing it is far greater than the cost of doing it. Far outweighs it. I think we need to put God back where he belongs. And that is at the center of every aspect of our life, especially and including our home life. The question is, who's going to step up to that? It's going to require somebody. By the way, if you live on your own, if you're by yourself in your home, it's you. But I believe God will do great things whether you live by yourself, whether you have a spouse, whether you have kids at home, whether you're an empty nester, whether you're retired, whether you're in the prime peak of your career, whatever it is, no matter what it is, God wants to infuse power and love and grace and mercy into your home life. But you just need to allow him to do it because he's there. He's ready. He's been knocking on the door. You just need to let him in. Raise the temperature. Allow God to show you what he can do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's sometimes hard to hear truth about life that is hidden from other people. It's sometimes hard to hear that we need to change. God, you know how I sometimes bristle against change. God, if there is anybody in here who realizes right now, in this moment, maybe there's a lot of us in here who realize that our spiritual temperature at home is really not that high. It's really not that hot. The the passion for you to follow you and and to read your word and to pray and to dig into community and to practice repentance and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy, it's it's just lukewarm or maybe it's even cold. We put on a good show on Sunday, but then we go home and we act like you're not there. God, help us to realize that you want to be at the center of every aspect of our life, including and especially our home life with our family, whether we live by ourselves, with family and kids, spouse, friends, neighbors, whatever it is, God, help us to realize that you belong at the center of that and that we need to turn the temperature up, raise the passion level so that others can see what it looks like to truly follow Christ. need you, Jesus, in every part of our life. Help us to invite you into every corner of our existence. We pray this, we ask this in your name, Jesus.